This is Eye on Education on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With Cognita Schools. I'm Helen Farmer. Fantastic to have you with us on today's episode of Eye on Education, a topic I am so passionate about, failure. What can we learn from our failures? How can we teach our children that actually failing helps them succeed better? From the swimming pool to the sports field to the classroom, we rounded up a whole load of fantastic experts to talk on this topic about their own experiences and how we as parents can help foster the right environment. This is Eye on Education on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With Cognita Schools. I have not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work, so said Thomas Edison. Parents tend to, well, we tend to see our mission as helping our kids succeed. But there is a growing realisation amongst teachers and other professionals. The kids increasingly need learning how to fail and understanding the importance of that. And we're talking about the concept of failing forwards today, especially with our children, with a trio in the studio. I love a busy studio. Um, Jessica Smith is here, former Australian Paralympic swimmer, an inclusion advocate, public and motivational speaker and a children's author as well. We've also got Agne with us, the founder of Akindemy, a book subscription service that aims to help you raise kind kids, one good book at a time. Recently, the theme of the month was that topic of failing forwards. And Gazal Said is with us from Lighthouse Arabia too. So a busy one and we're taking your questions already. Messages coming in, worried about having kids who are so-called bad losers. Let me tell you, Monopoly is banned in our house, so you're in good company. Mm. Jess, I'd love to start with you. Um, You swam from a very early age competitively, and I wondered what some of the conversations were like, some of the messages that you heard about winning and losing, so to speak. Yeah, well, I started competing for Australia at the age of 13, so very, very young. And I continued to represent Australia into my early 20s. I think the conversations are very much the same as it is now. It's looking at success as something to strive for. Um, But I think I was very fortunate that I had parents who focused on the way that I felt in those moments of success. And every race that I won was just as important as every race that I lost or vice versa. And so it was sitting with those feelings. And I didn't really perhaps appreciate that at the time. But looking back now, and then as I w- I'm trying to parent my own children through mm-hmm. this, um, I'm very grateful that they had that perspective around making sure that I sat with those feelings, whether it was win or lose. So and when I think about parenting styles, one of the kind of the buzzwords I've heard recently about is about snowplow parenting. So wanting to remove obstacles from our kids' way, we want to make their life it's, and it, again, it comes from a good place, wanting to make their lives as easy and pain-free as possible. It sounds like your parents really understood the value of, exactly as you say, sitting in that discomfort and being okay with winning, losing and feeling sometimes pretty rotten about it. Yeah, well, I think obviously I have the added complexity of being born with a disability, so missing my left arm. And for me, sport was an opportunity to prove to the world that I wouldn't be limited by my disability. And I think they saw the power in that. And so every opportunity that I could have to be swimming, whether that was racing or not, they saw that as a positive drive for me to be able to build that level of resilience and self-confidence within myself. Now, of course, I then excelled at a very young age. And so obviously the psychology around how you look at winning and losing began to change over the years as I became more elite. Mm-hmm. And so it, the, I think my parents were then able to perhaps 
share some of that uh, mentorship with coaches and other people in my life. You know, I think they realize that, of course, it does get to a point where they're not equipped with all the tools to be able to help me in those situations. So you need to be able to reach out to people yeah. who are experts in those areas. Collaborate. Um, Agne, can I ask you why you chose failing forwards as a theme for your recent books? What, what was it that you felt like perhaps wasn't being discussed here in the UAE when it came to kids and competing? Sure. So it actually came completely from a personal need when I witnessed my oldest daughter, seven-year-old um, daughter, going through something really significant, failing in one of her sporting events. And at that time, I, I, I have to admit, I didn't know how to handle that particular situation. I didn't know the age-appropriate words and tools to help her navigate through something like that. And then I realized there are so many other parents that are going through the exact same thing, especially if you observe sporting activities or competitions. Mm -hmm. So I said, we have to do something to help other parents. And that's clearly the mission of A Kind of Me. That's how the topic came about. And um, we've imported some amazing books that not only focus on winning and losing and navigating some of the harsh feelings associated with that, but touching on things such as perfectionism, selfishness, um, you know, being a good sport in general. Mm -hmm. So that really covered an area of lots of topics. We're going to be delving into some of those books after half past because I, I love a good book recommendation, especially ones that can be so helpful for equipping parents with the language and kind of the awareness around some really big topics such as this. Up next, we're going to be chatting with Gazelle about what exactly is failing forward and some of the long-term benefits of understanding and accepting failure in childhood. This is Eye on Education on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With Cognita Schools. Michael Jordan said, I have missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. Lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. Joining us in the studio today to talk about the importance of failure, especially teaching the concept to our children, we've got a trio. Joining us from A Kind of Me, we have got Agne, the founder, that book subscription where you can talk about some really, honestly, quite tough topics, but also some wonderful ones as well through the power of books. They had a recent theme on exactly this, the importance of failing forward. We have got former Paralympian, uh, swimmer Jessica Smith, it's yours an inclusion advocate, and Gazelle Said is with us today from Lighthouse Arabia too. Gazelle, can I ask you a little bit about the concept of failing forward. I've heard about it in business. So entrepreneurs learning from, you know, a startup that hasn't necessarily worked and taking those learnings into their next one. How can we apply that concept to children? Right. So failing forward, I mean, just that play on word, I'd say, puts failing at a very positive light. And this is what we want to do. And this is what we want to teach our children. So we are talking about, you know, mindset. This is what really matters when we are putting uh, failing in a more positive light. Uh, we talk about fixed mindset and a growth mindset. Can you explain those for us? Exactly, because that would be the key. You know, understanding these would be the key to how can we actually look at failing as something that's positive. Uh, so Dr. Carol Dweck, who, you know, is a renowned uh, researcher, psychologist who's done very conductive research on mindset. And she talks about fixed mindset, which is, you know, we believe that we e were either born with that talent and that intelligence or not. So this would be, to use an example, um, I'm terrible at maths and I'm going to carry that with me for the rest of my life. 
Exactly. And nothing's going to change that. You're not going to change my mind. You can't teach it to me. I am unteachable. And people have this in all sorts of different ways. Oh, um, I've got no coordination. I can't dance. Or I've never been a sporty person and it's too late to try now. That That's the application right this is fixed mindset so it's really like i hate math and i'm going to be avoiding that subject i'm going to do my best to even avoid that lesson and you know what even cheat on the test and then we've got the growth mindset and this is where i want you parents and even as adults to to really focus because that's when we believe intelligence and 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 talent is something we can nurture so this is something we can work on and that's where we are using the language of not yet. So yeah, I did not pass my math test today, but that does not mean I cannot pass it the next month or next year. Uh, and and this is what we want to teach our children because having that mindset, you know what? I'm, I look at failure and it's pretty good. I can learn something from it. I can move forward with it because then it's no longer like an obstacle mm-hmm. uh, that's in my way. It, what age do you think you can start to introduce the concept of failure to little ones because especially a couple of years ago mine would start a running race and when they saw they weren't going to win they'd fall to the floor you know they would be like oh it's not fair and and, and strop off mm. as i said monopoly does not end well in our household no how can we start to introduce some of these concepts at, at home and you know we're going to be talking about in the classroom after four o'clock today with the teachers but for, for parents listening today where we do have some control over those environments and what we're doing in those spaces when gazelle as early as possible really this is because children are actually you know we are born with that growth mindset so this is something we have but then the environment is what can actually change that mindset drastically and I'll say that as as early as possible because when you've got your two-year-old coming to you with a scribble that she drew you know your immediate reaction is like wow I love this it's beautiful but you know what why not actually ask her oh, what made you choose that color? Or like, that's a nice choice of color. So now we're praising actually her decision and and, and no longer just thinking, oh, wow, it's nice. Mm-hmm. And and this is the language that we can, we start with early on. I think for me, I find it quite hard to separate the idea of that with perfectionism. I'm thinking about my younger child in particular, and she watches a lot of those YouTube art videos where she'll see someone drawing something and she'll do it and she'll try and she desperately wants to. And sometimes she'll persevere and sometimes she'll just completely, well, implode, basic, basically. When it comes to, I guess, perfectionism, how, how linked to these concepts do you think? I mean, perfectionism can really uh, impact children and how they look at what they're doing and it can impact their mental health even. And when, when we have, you know, a child imploding and, you know, showing all that frustration... Why not actually also allow them to feel these emotions? Can I ask, um, Jess, when it comes to you as a parent and you as an athlete, do you think it's important to understand our own relationship with failure before we start talking to our children about it? Yes, absolutely. I've had to do a lot of self-exploration um, very recently because my children are very much the same. They're similar ages to yours, Helen, and you know everything that you've mentioned I experience as well. But certainly 
as an elite athlete, I'm acutely aware that the psychology that I've had to adjust to is different to sort of people partaking in sport at an amateur level and and my children as well. So having to dig deep and (laughs) realise my own level of perfectionism that is absolutely there that got me to that elite level to now be able to have conversations with my own children where we are talking about how did that make you feel? Explain that to me in more detail. My daughter ran in the cross country recently and I said to her, how was it? And she said it was good. Now, of course, good isn't the best response that we want. So my question back to her was, well, did you feel good for the entire race? And that allowed her to then think, well, no, it didn't. No, she didn't. And then she said, oh, I actually felt tired at different points. And then at the end, I wanted to sprint. So the way we form our terminology in the questions that we ask our children allow them to then think of how they're going to answer, which then indirectly sort of is enabling them to process that whole performance for themselves. We're going to unpack this further because I'm kind of intrigued to hear from parents listening today and of course those in the studio today about how we can strike a balance between encouraging our children to excel but also allowing them to experience failure as well. We've got a number of messages on the text line as well about yeah, a six-year-old boy who struggles to lose, a sensitive little boy who's five who's got a huge fear of failure. How can we get past this idea that he doesn't want to try because he might not do it right? And we're going to have our very own book club. We're going to be talking about what are some of the books that can really help you open up these conversations with your children. This is Eye on Education on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With Cognita Schools. Joining us in the studio as we talk about failing forward, taking your questions, Gazelle Saeed, speech and language therapist at Lighthouse Arabia, Agnes, the founder of Akindami, and we've got Jessica Smith. Um, Jessica is a former Australian Paralympic swimmer, an inclusion advocate, a public and motivational speaker and a children's author. And Agnes, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the books that you put together and curated for your monthly theme, which was exactly this, failing forward. So, Before we get into the books, tell us a little bit about your mission with your company and the power you think books have. Absolutely. So just to introduce probably first, Akindami is a a very unique concept and unlike any other book subscription service, it rather acts as a personal shopping service where we do all the curation and all the research and we recommend four to seven books um, focusing on a specific theme often a very difficult topic, often a very funny topic. And then we allow our members the complete freedom to choose which one of those recommended books they want to choose and only pay for them. Now, the topics that we pick uh, cover, obviously, you know, um, things such as societal and environmental issues and, and something that you wouldn't normally start or engage your children in conversations just just like that. Yet books have that power to shape our little minds before the society perhaps can mm-hmm. do that. Um, so we feel that it's, it's more important than ever to put those good books in front of our children. The theme for, uh, for the month of October was about winning and losing and failing forward. But that theme covers a number of other topics such as selfishness and, and how do we navigate with the little ones, you know, topics of sharing, for example. Mm-hmm. Perfectionism, we were discussing with the guests in the studio as well, how do you even start to unpack a topic of perfectionism with a, with a three-year-old or a five-year-old? Um, and there are books for that. So we have an example of a book that talks about the perfect sushi. And you might think, what does sushi have to do with perfectionism? But the story goes on to tell um, a beautiful tale of a grandmother uh, and and a little granddaughter who wants to 
sort of fulfill or continue grandma's legacy of making beautiful, perfect sushi. But every time she attempts to do that, she just fails. And I think, you know, cutting a little bit shorter, the conclusion says that it's not about the perfect outcome. It's where it comes from. Mm -hmm. And the heart is what really, really matters. Other books include things such as, you know, um, brain versus wit. Um, And sometimes you don't have to be the smartest to achieve the best results. Um, Other things about fearing uh, to even take uh, an attempt in, in in a specific sport, you know sadness and allowing to feel it as, as, as a feeling. Often we dismiss maybe children, maybe nowadays we're a little bit more educated and we, we know the importance of validating feelings. Yeah, but them. when yeah. there are books like that, that just portray other characters that might be feeling sadness, like your child, it create, creates relatability and it, it shows that I am not alone. Exactly. I, th- I think that's what, the, what I really value in, in books is that you can encourage your children to put themselves in the, the shoes of the character. You know, what do you think this little girl is feeling when she can't get the sushi right? And relate it to what they might be going through rather than having these big conversations about, you know, you look a bit sad or, you mm-hmm. know, tell me about a time when, you know, da-da-da. It's... Um, It makes it feel more accessible. It's a tool, for for want of a better phrase. Um, If you want details, you can send me the word book. I will send you the link so you can find out more about Akindami. Joining us, as I said, in the studio, we've got a trio of experts. We were talking about failing in the classroom after four o'clock today um, with the principal from Horizon International. Um, Jess, I wanted to come back to the world of sports, if that's all right, because, um, you know, it is obviously a competitive space, but in fear of failure can sometimes hinder a child's performance. And I wondered how coaches, parents can help young athletes, and that can be at any level, you know, in school all the way through, to see failure as a learning opportunity rather than a setback. You know, were there any experiences in your athletic career that you think, gosh, that was really tough, but that was a teaching moment? Absolutely. And I was blessed to have an incredible coach throughout the end of my swimming career who was a fabulous mentor. And I mean, I've lost so many more races than I have won. And I've had significant losses that have put me in a situation where I really had to dig deep to decide whether or not I would use that failure as motivation to keep going. And obviously, I love the sport of swimming so much that I was able to do that. But I needed the support of others like my family, but also my coach. And it was just constant conversations, which is, I think, what we're, you know, discussing here as well is the importance of keeping that line of communication open and I was fortunate to have that and I think that this is something that I I hope for my children and I'm very selective with the coaches that they have for their particular sports because these are people who are going to have a very uh, significant influence on our children and you know my younger son who's only three I want him to experience being happy and enjoying what he's doing understanding his body as he does different movements and activities and then obviously as my children get older and if they choose to become more competitive to have coaches and mentors who can guide them through some of those more challenging feelings that I know that they're going to experience. Because we've heard time and time again you know what we say to our children becomes there in a dialogue but it's not just us as parents it's the power that teachers have the parents Absolutely. that coaches have to create these these beliefs and these limiting beliefs that we're talking about earlier Gazelle. Um, I want to go to the text line 4001 um, I'm going to have to ditch a song because I want to help as many people as possible in this. Um, no name saying my daughter goes to a very sporty and competitive school she's turning nine and we're finding out more and more she's not very sporty or 
or naturally competitive. She's naturally gentle and calm and loves things like art and music and reading, but her school focuses heavily on competitive sports and it's really knocking her confidence. I'm not sure what I'm asking here, but any thoughts or suggestions? Gazelle, what comes to mind there when it when it comes to that sense of identity and well-being and that balance of encouragement but maybe when is enough enough right so i would want to start off here with the word adversity so adversity is really good for our children we don't want to be bubble wrapping them and protecting them because so many times in life we are going to be in situations where you know this is not really our interest not the biggest passion but it's still something we have to do to kind of succeed however you know, you also want to look at, is that the right fit for my child? Because we as parents, are we looking at maybe changing schools is a failure by itself? Is that how we are viewing it? So we are completely, you know, not even we are refusing to look at the idea, but actually speaking with the child and giving the child that autonomy to, you know, what are your interests? What are you, what's, what motivates you? What would you like to, you know, do and and compete at? And and maybe changing to have a better fit is actually a success by Mm -hmm. itself. Jessica, you're nodding along. No, I completely agree. And I think, you know, historically, there's been a lot of pressure on parents and adults to not make drastic changes like changing a school because of how we might be seen and, and a message that that sends. But I think that, you know, we really need to be prioritizing the emotional and mental well-being of our children. And if it means making big decisions like that, then I think we have to do that. But I do agree that we can't, as you referred to at the beginning, it's not snow plowing for our children. We can't shy away from all the challenges and obstacles and adversities that they will face because this does build that level of resilience that we know they're going to need. And so I think it's having, again, those open and honest conversations and really listening to our children because they do know what they enjoy and they do know what they want to, you know, excel at. So let's try to give them the best opportunity to do that. I just wanted to come lastly, get all of your thoughts on this, because some argue, and we've seen cases of this internationally and here, that, you know, participation trophies, constant praise, might not prepare children for the realities of winning and losing in the real world. So I'd love to get our panel's thoughts on this and how parents and educators can foster a healthy understanding of competition and its outcomes. Because in life, much as, you know, in sports competitions in school, there's only so many spaces on the podium. Um, for To my mind, I feel very torn on this. I want my kids to strive and excel to the best of their abilities, but not at the cost of their mental health you know but when it comes to striking that balance what would your final words of advice be gazelle right adapt the practice of reflecting after any event whether it's a failure or a success so to have that self-reflection in your home and also teach your child that right my heart and muscle are a brain and with every failure we are actually just practicing to win so praising the effort, learning, yeah. reflecting on what we might have learned from that and using that as motivation. Yeah. Jessica Smith. Definitely. It's about the process and the effort and being able to acknowledge and, and validate that. I don't necessarily believe that participation trophies are the right way to go, but I do think it depends on their age. I think as our children grow and develop, they do need to understand that the world is very competitive. So use that as an opportunity to practice sportsmanship. Let's congratulate those who did win. Let's think about how it feels when we don't win and how can we help support other people when they're going through that because that's what we would hope that people were doing for us. I love it. And Agne? 
Very similarly, and, and I think also modeling the, the behavior. You know, how, how do we act in front of our children when we are failing at something or winning? You know, do we celebrate and completely neglect others who have ended up in the last positions? Um, and, and secondly, also working on social skills. So let's say if our child is a winner in a particular situation, teach them to thank others for, you know, being there and playing with them or participating. Um, if they are losing, working together, communicating with our children to come up with strategies together to see what can we do so we are a little bit better next time. Because like you said, we want them to achieve the best that they can. We want them to be the best version um, that they can be. So just obviously modeling. I think modeling's a really good one. Yeah. I'll, try to, I'll try to curtail my disappointment or indeed glee when I win or lose <laughs> at Monopoly next time. Thank you so much to our panel today, Gazelle, Jessica and Nagne. For anyone that wants to find out more about some of the books that are available, if you've missed the October book, you can still find them in the shop online, right? So we have a members-only gift shop, um, but membership is completely free to join. So if you go to www.ekindemy.com, become a member, um, you'll find the last month's books on our website and you can purchase. We have limited stock, but it's still there. And it's the beginning of a brand new month. So the theme of November is? It's child safety. Oh, good one. And we are covering lots of things from cybersecurity to, you know, internet safety, but also body boundaries and consent, um, amongst many others. Fantastic. This is Eye on Education on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With Cognita Schools. We have been talking about failing forward. Really interesting to get your take on whether you think your kids are kind of good or bad winners and losers and talking earlier with Paralympian uh, Jessica Smith about you know about there being space on the podium on on the sports field and swimming pool in, in her case but what about in the classroom Darren Gale joining us now the headmaster of High Horizon International School I want to call you Mr Gale how are you Darren I'm very well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being with us today. I, I really appreciate it, uh, both as, you know, talking about this on air, but also as a parent, because I feel like it can be a really tricky one to navigate when we think about, you know, being competitive at school. And, and many parents and students fear failure, but, you know, mm -hmm. it is a really essential part of the learning process. Could you maybe unpack for us a little bit about how you think failure can contribute to a child's growth and development, especially, you know, in the age group that you work with there at Horizon International? Well, you see, this is a facet. I love this subject of failure and I also love the subject of vulnerability. And, and, and if we just track it back, I just pose the question to the, to the community and to listeners, how did we learn to walk? How did we learn to juggle? How did we learn to speak? How did we learn anything new? We, we learned it through failure. And, and, and in assemblies, when I talk to students about this, there's a latest craze. I think they're called escape rooms, aren't they? I love them. When, <laughs> when, right. But it's OK in an escape room because actually the mistakes you make are key attributors to the success of getting out. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, making mistakes is, all re is really good because it adds to new learning. Yeah, it's information. But suddenly... Yeah, so, but suddenly somewhere along the line, at a certain age, we start educating failure out of children. And whether that's further as you, you know, whether that's as you become more self-aware mm. or as we get older, suddenly then failure becomes something that has such negative connotations attributed to it. Mm -hmm. And then what, do, you see, do you see what I'm trying to say? Uh, yeah, I do. And I think you're right about that idea of being suddenly self-conscious or being 
you know, conscious of how you are perceived, but also conscious of where you might kind of stack up compared to other people as well, um, you know, in the... Uh, you know, in, in the rankings, so to speak. And, and sometimes fear of failure can completely stop a child from even trying something new. You know, if they've got this, well, you know, this, this fear of getting it wrong, not getting it right from the beginning. Well, you see, let's let's not attribute aspiration and ambition with the fear of failure. That, that's that's not what I'm saying. But what what is happening is through social media. I mean, if even if you think about examination boards, when I was at school and A was good enough. Now we have the A double star. I know. And so. <laughs> As a society, and I think schools are the starting places and homes are the starting places, we need to just go back and just do some deep reflection on this culture of perfectionism Mm -hmm. that we're creating. And actually, it's the fear of not being perfect. It's that elusive dream of, of being perfect that's holding children back, not necessarily failure. Absolutely agree. I think, you know, we've always heard that that old phrase of, you know, practice makes perfect and it's not. It practice makes progress. Mm. You know, that, yeah. that it's 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 that growth mindset that we were alluding to earlier. So what about in the school it's environment it's, that can you know, in, encourage students, foster the the to embrace failure as a really valuable learning experience? You know, what what are some things well, that you do in in the classroom and at school there at Horizon International? Well, it has to start with cl- with culture and climate and ethos and and the language and the narrative that we use around learning and and uh, horizon international we're very clear and we're very open with the students through all of the work we do in our pastoral programs and through assemblies we aim for progress not perfection and that it's the language that you attribute to failure or mistakes and vulnerability that creates that culture and that climate where children allow themselves to feel vulnerable because we have a we have a society where if I look perfect if I love perfectly if I work perfect then I can avoid and minimize criticism criticism ridicule and blame Mm -hmm. but what that actually does is stop children being seen and at Horizon International we say that everyone counts so everyone must contribute, so everyone succeeds. That's one of our vision statements that we have in the school. And so therefore, the language and the culture that we have around learning and failure and vulnerability is a, a positive narrative. That We talk about children not necessarily being the toppers and, you know, the, the, the best and the A's. We talk about children being the best versions of themselves, because not every child can be an A. It's an unrealistic expectation. I I'm not talking about ambition. Mm-hmm. You can aspire to it, but you've got to put those support mechanisms underneath to allow children to feel vulnerable. I couldn't agree with you more, um, Darren Gale, headmaster of Horizon International. However, what we're going to be talking about next is talking to parents who might have grown up in a culture environment where only an A or an A double star is good enough. So how do we strike that balance? That's what we're going to be coming up next. Failure can be a really difficult concept for parents to accept. So how can we work with that? This is Eye on Education on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With Cognita Schools. Talking now about fostering an environment where failure is okay. If anything, it's actively encouraged how teaching our children the value of fa- failure can really help them how to succeed better. Darren Gale is with us now, the headmaster at Horizon International School. And Darren, I think, you know, 
you and I are singing from the same hymn sheet here. It's something that I'm really trying hard to encourage in my children and, and model, you know, myself as much as possible. Um, however, <laughs> um, I'm aware of some parents where that might not be the case. And this can be for all sorts of reasons where they've grown up in an environment where if it's not the best, it's not good enough. That 98% result, what happens to the other 2%? So failure can be a really difficult concept for parents to accept. So I, I was wondering how you kind of collaborate and communicate with parents to help them understand the importance of failure in fostering skills like problem solving, perseverance, um, adaptability amongst their children. That must be some tricky conversations sometimes, I'm sure. It is. It is a challenge because, you know, nobody teaches us how to parent. We're, we're, we're building the plane as we fly in parenting. And, and when we're under stress or, you know, we, res, we resort to how we were either taught or at the same time, I haven't met a parent that doesn't want the best for their child. We always want our children to have better experience and better life chances. Mm -hmm. But again, it's down to schools to work with parents and help parents find that language and that distinction between failure and attainment. Can you explain because, that to me? <laughs> well, you know, we all, everybody wants their children to be highly successful. Okay. And it's working with parents to say, I know you want, you want your child to be a double A star in physics, chemistry and biology. Are you really meaning you want them to be an A star or do you mean you want them to be successful? Mm -hmm. And once you spend the time unpicking it, parents just want their children to be happy and achieve. Yeah, that's but, true. And it's helping frame that what failure would look like for their child and getting a B grade or a 90 percent isn't necessarily failure. And it's helping the pair educate the parent with that culture and that narrative and that language around what does success look like for your child, not for the three other children, because more often than not, it's about Unfortunately, parents, you know, wanting children to be in so social groups or have opportunities like their friends or um, wanting them to to be involved in everything and, and to be recognised as as the top students. And it's helping parents recognise what success looks like, which is very different from failure. I wanted to pick your brains. We had a message earlier that we, we ran out of time for, but actually in hindsight, I think it's a better question for you. Salma got in mm -hmm. touch and we were talking earlier about perfectionism. And I, I, think, I think this is what she's tapping into with this message saying, our lovely mm -hmm. son is five, very sensitive boy, generally doing very well in school, keeping up, making friends. But since he's been small, I've noticed he's got a huge fear of failure and it's starting to impact him more. He won't try to ride a bike in case he doesn't do it properly. It's a battle to read a school book every time because I might not do it right. Any practical ideas to try? and move past this with your early yes. years kind of hat on mr gale what what comes to mind for mm. this parent we have to remember that we are role models for our children okay as parents we role model the future for them and so therefore it's really important that you role model as parents failures and mistakes and you talk about the emotions and the feelings that evolved in that and help children articulate why they might feel like that mm -hmm. rather than sometimes we helicopter in and try to solve the problem and put a plaster over it. Do you see what I'm trying to say there? I absolutely Helen? do. And, 
And at the same time, it's also talking to children before they begin tasks, before they begin anything new, helping them frame what that task might look like. So before we get on the bike and we're worried about falling off, talk it through. What might happen when we get on the bike? How might we feel about getting on the bike so that when you're on that bike, you're acknowledging that journey, that process with the child. And I might get on the bike myself and fall off. <laughs> you, I'm talking about young children here. Mm -hmm. It's about role modelling. And then again, the language that we use and talking, some people call it sort of a social story, talking that through with children with the language of the emotions that they might feel as well. And once you unpick that, you'll come to the root cause of why they're perhaps a little bit scared. Mm -hmm. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard, this parenting yeah. malarkey. Um, but I think I think it's it's really encouraging to hear what environments can look like. And last question, we've only got a minute left, Darren Girls. Okay, so I just I'll wondered if you no, I just, <laughs> just I just wondered if you could kind of paint a little bit of a picture about, you know, I guess a time or a situation in the school where you've had to support a child in turning an experience that might be deemed as failure or unsuccessful into a positive outcome. Or perhaps if there's an initiative or even a part of the curriculum where you think this is where we are turning this idea of failure into something to celebrate. I think in, in schools in general, in my school, and I know schools all across the city, every day we're teaching children about failure and resilience and picking them up and turning them around. I mean, a classic example is the, is the GCSE and A-level mock examinations that children are about to go through, you know, and where they get those results and they get those packets and they open those results and they don't see the results that they were hoping for. And it's about talking to them about what's needed and unpicking that in order for when they're sitting the real thing thing that they don't have that emotion and that feeling when they open up the result on the 22nd of August. Darigal, thank you so much for your insights. It's clearly, we clearly had the right man on the phone today, a topic that you're obviously so passionate about. And it's really wonderful to Darling. think about how that's being integrated and hopefully food for thought for other parents listening today. Really appreciate your time, especially thank you. later on a Thursday afternoon. Um, thank you so much. Really, really. My pleasure. A pleasure. Darren Gales, the headmaster of Horizon International School. This is Eye on Education on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With Cognito Schools. We've been talking about fostering an environment where children can succeed, whatever that means to them. Hearing earlier from Darren Gale, the headmaster at Horizon International, we've been speaking to former Paralympian Jessica Smith. And speaking now to Helen Green, she is the gifted and talented manager at Enrich Me. Um, Helen, I would love it if you wouldn't mind explaining a little bit about what your job entails, if there's such a typical day, and indeed what the concept of Enrich Me is. How are you? Hi, hi. Thanks, Helen. Uh, yeah, good to be here. Thanks for uh, thanks for inviting me. Enrich Me is an enrichment um, provision in sports and in skills designed for Cognita students, uh, exclusively for uh, the students. It's built from the inside out. So we looked as a school group at what we could offer to um, provide a broad experience to students. And we took views from schools, parents, staff, etc., um, to make sure we were offering the best experience we could for our students to enable them to thrive in a rapidly evolving world. So our aim is to provide gold standard service, not only with our enriching experiences through the programmes, but also providing regular updates on children's progress and um, 
clear communication to parents uh, as well. Uh, my role as gifted and talented lead, um, as well as a performing arts facilitator, is to make sure that those children who are high performing um, are able to access not only the programs, but also have um, a pathway forwards mm-hmm. so that they're able to, to really um, thrive and, um, and, and push themselves. But equally, as Darren was saying earlier, that they are aware that with success, you have to have failure mm-hmm. and failure leads you to success. Uh, something that's very difficult sometimes for the high ability students and high performing students to, um, to, to sort of realise. That's a really interesting point, actually, because there are some children who are naturally gifted and talented in, in all aspects. I'm going to talk about some of the things that come under that. And uh, you know, things might come easy. You know, they, that might have been the case that they've always done well. You know, there are kids that I went to school with who could pick up any kind of sport and just be the best on the field or, or you know, or instruments just naturally very musical. And then perhaps when you get to a certain level where you start to identify other people are just as good or maybe even better. Psychologically, that's a pretty tough thing for a kid to have to to have to deal with. So be able to create an environment where they are supported through that must be a really important aspect as well, I'm sure. It is absolutely yes, it is, and and it's just um, really recognizing as a student that failure is um, it's not a conclusion, mm-hmm. but it's a beginning. Um, I, I have a mnemonic um, which which is sort of fail is first attempt in learning. You know, if you don't fail, you've never never got any any further. You've never succeeded. Mm-hmm. Uh, you do have to have to fail to learn. Um, it's almost like let's fail so that we can succeed. And certainly on the football pitch or in the dance competition, of course, you want to win the competition. You want to win the football match every time. But actually, that's not the best thing for you. It doesn't build resilience. It doesn't bring um, collaboration with your teammates. It doesn't empower you. It doesn't make you resilient. So you do need to fail and you need to celebrate that failure and have the attitude um, that's very positive that says, "Okay, so we failed on this. But we've learned such a lot. We know now as a team, we know what we need to do next time. As a dance troupe, we know what we want to do um, going forwards to succeed in the next uh, next event. I guess there's two two kind of aspects of this. One is, you know, those wins are so much sweeter when you've had the disappointment of not making it onto the podium. But as, exactly as you're saying there, every loss or perceived failure is information. You know, watching something back, how can we do it, do it better? talking talking together about that experience and that growth mindset of you know or you know maybe I didn't make it onto swim squad a this term but next term you know I haven't done it yet um it is it's a really kind of powerful shift that I think a lot of adults myself included probably could could learn from um Helen would you mind telling us about some of the sports and subjects that come under that umbrella and I guess how how the children are identified for the enrich me program as well Okay, yeah. So the Enrich Me program is um, open to all of our students. So it's not just uh, select teams, but we do have select teams and select pathways. Um, We offer football, swimming, netball, music, drama and dance at the moment. Uh, There are more to come. There's lots of interest in parental engagement, um, in athletics, in languages, in STEM. So um, watch this space, I guess. Um, But at the present moment, uh, the the, the main um, things that we're looking at are football, swimming, netball, music, drama and dance. Um, 
and we, as I say, offer it to everybody. However, there are pathways for children to be able to take ABRSM exams in music, to um, follow Lambda examinations, to be part of the um, swim, swim England um, swim challenges and swim levels. So there are lots of different ways to be part of the elite football squad. So there are lots of ways where we um, we we look at the children that we have and we try to challenge every child to the level that they need to be challenged so that um, you know the more just enough just in time just for me um, that 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 um, learning can be that personalized learning for them um, really gives them the ownership to be able to take that as far as they want to and to just go into that um, zone of a proximity we call it where they're just being pushed out of their comfort zone but not such a an extent that they they feel completely overwhelmed. What about some of the benefits Helen in terms of not just being the programs but also I guess competing against other schools you know other competitions you know when I think back to to my days certainly at high school as I said, you'd identify the really sporty kids and you'd kind of mark yourself up against them. And then you get to a different school environment and go, oh, wow, this is this is a bit different. Um, what are some of the benefits, I guess, of being exposed to different other school groups and, and teams through the programme that you've seen firsthand? Yeah, well, it, it very much is uh, that um, that that case of yes, you will succeed. Um, some some schools, um, you will you will go along and you'll you'll play a, another school team or you'll be involved in a, a competition where you're top of the game. But at some point, there will always be a team, even if you're known as the best team in Dubai. There will always come a time when. You won't actually be the best team. You won't um, succeed. You won't win the match. You won't win the competition. Um, and, and that's great. That's the that's the the most um, beneficial thing that can happen. That you can then have that um, that reflection time to to say, oh, okay, right, we we actually are not the best. There's always somewhere to go. There's always something to strive for. Um, to to reach for and 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 to improve your your game or your you know your uh, your skill. I think your you know your coaches your teachers are really skilled in managing those environments. And I'm asking you this as a mum now, Helen, whose current daughter is currently playing netball. Um, you know when there has been a match where they're disappointed, where there has been maybe an audition that they don't get. What are some of the words, the phrases that you found useful over the years for? Offering some comfort and support without trying to fix it. Yeah, well, I think that saying of if at first you don't succeed, um, then try again. You you can also sort of say, well, yeah, if if at first you do succeed, you try something harder and you've tried something harder. You've gone against a a netball team who are perhaps that little bit stronger than you or a little bit more experienced. Um, You can't, I think, I guess the... The key thing I would say is perhaps you can't coast and climb at the same time. If you're winning every match, you're coasting and you need to be able to to, to climb to the le- next level. Um, you know, and if you're winning every every match, every competition, that's not building resilience. It's building complacency. I love that. It's coming back to our point earlier 
practice makes progress, that growth mindset. Exactly, that's right. Helen Green, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Um, Fantastic to get a bit of the insight about that Enrich Me programme, speaking to us there from Cognito Schools. Really appreciate your time. Have a lovely evening ahead and all the very best to the teams competing. I'm sure there's lots happening on the sporting calendar this term. Helen Green is the gifted and talented manager at Enrich Me. That was Eye on Education brought to you by Cognita Middle East. I'm Helen Farmer and you can catch us live on Dubai Eye 103.8 every single Thursday afternoon.